Well, I heard a uh, story recently about uh, a convenience store that was held up in Chicago. And uh, this guy, a, a masked gunman, had burst into the store and uh, he went to the teller and he, he stuck the gun in the teller's face and he demanded the teller put all the money uh, in a bag. And so the teller frantically, you know, unloaded the cash register and put it in one of the, the bags there on the counter and the gunman ran out and, and disappeared. Well, about 15 minutes later, the police show up and the police start questioning this, uh, this cashier, this teller, and, you know, can you tell us anything about the guy who robbed the store? And uh, the teller was just, you know, kind of flustered. Well, you know, I, he had a mask on. I couldn't, I couldn't see. He was maybe, you know, 5'10 or so, 6 feet tall. And, and uh, he was wearing a Chicago Bulls jacket. I remember that. And, okay, well, that's helpful. And, and uh, the, the police was like, are there any other details you can recall? And uh, the teller said, well, you know, come to think of it, he had a really distinct aroma about him. And uh, the detective said, well, well what, what kind of aroma? And uh, the cashier said, well, you know, he smells a lot like the Chinese restaurant down the street. Well, friends, you don't have to be Jay Warner Wallace to figure this one out, right? <laughs> so, so the detectives, he walked down a block away to the local Chinese restaurant that was just down the street from the, from the convenience store that had been robbed. And uh, the detective starts looking around the parking lot, and sure enough, he finds an old, uh, an old Honda, and in the backseat of this old Honda was a Chicago Bulls jacket. And there on the floor of the, the old Honda was a, a bag from the very store that had been robbed just a half hour earlier. And so he walked into the, the Chinese restaurant, and sure enough, there was a distinct aroma. And uh, he started questioning and came to discover that it was one of the busboys here at the Chinese restaurant who had held up this convenience store. The case was solved all because of this unique aroma that was being given off by the busboy. Friends, I want to ask you this morning, what do you smell like today? What kind of aroma are you giving off this morning? You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we too should be marked by a distinct aroma. As followers of Jesus, we should be emitting the sweet fragrance of the grace and love of Jesus Christ. We should be emitting the, the aroma of the power of the Spirit alive within us, at work within us. And, and that sweet fragrance, friends, should go with us wherever we go as we represent Jesus Christ in this world. We see that sweet aroma at work in the life of the early church, which we've been studying the past few weeks in the book of Acts. We see the, the distinct fragrance and the sweet aroma of the grace of Christ transforming the culture in Jerusalem. We see thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus because of the gospel. We see people getting healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see a church working and moving and living in the power and unity that comes through the Holy Spirit alive within them. Friends, there's nothing better when the Holy Spirit is at work in people's hearts. When a body is transformed, a group of people are transformed together, and that aroma, that sweet smell of the Spirit, just totally saturates the whole, the whole presence. And friends, that's what we saw taking place in the book of Acts. That's what I think all of us desire for our church, that we would be a church that has that same kind of sweet aroma. These were good days for the early church. Lives were being changed. People were coming to faith. The, the church was united in one spirit. But we, as we've seen in the past three weeks, in the midst of these good days, our adversary, the devil, wasn't pleased. 
You can be sure, friends, whenever the Holy Spirit's at work and the gospel revolution is on the move, the enemy is going to be at work trying to thwart that. And we've seen that the last three weeks in our study in the book of Acts. We've seen it with the external persecution the church began to face at the hands of the Jewish religious authorities. We've seen it through the, the internal hypocrisy and the seeds of dissension that Satan tried to sow and stories like Ananias and Sapphira. We, we, we are going to see it again today as the enemy seeks to sow seeds of discord in the church by, by attempting to create disunity amongst God's people. The enemy doesn't want to see the gospel revolution succeed. And so he was trying to thwart it as best as he could. This morning we're going to look at Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7. Yes, only seven verses. Can you believe that? I mean, we've had some marathon scripture readings here in our series in Acts. But here in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, we see a powerful example of a growing church, a spirit-filled church, a church that was committed to the gospel revolution. But we also see Satan's attempts to sow discord. So let's, let's read our passage together, and then I want to come back and I want to share some lessons that we can learn from this passage. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. The Hellenists were the Greek-speaking Jews who, who weren't native to Jerusalem. These were people who had moved into Jerusalem, sort of like modern-day Zionist Jews who want to move back to their homeland, to the land of Israel. So these are Jews that had come from around the world. They had put their trust in Jesus. They were Hellenistic in culture, Jewish by, nation, by origin, Jewish by religion, and now following Christ. And so we see a complaint arose by these Hellenists against their Hebrew brothers and sisters because the Hellenistic Jews, their widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I feel like we need to read that like three or four more times just to stay in, in rhythm with our previous week's readings. But friends, this is a really incredible story, and there's a lot of powerful lessons in this passage that apply to our church. Not just any church, but our church today. Here in, in our passage, we find three lessons for a growing, spirit-filled, gospel revolution church. Friends, that's the kind of church we want to be here at Lakes Free. A church that's growing. A, a church that's filled with the Spirit, emitting that sweet aroma. A church that's committed to the gospel revolution. And friends, there are three lessons here that I want to highlight this morning. Number one, we see the reality that gospel ministry is easily endangered. 
The ministry of the gospel, friends, is a fragile thing, and it's easily endangered. And in our passage this morning, we find some of the inevitable challenges that come with a growing church. Growth brings challenges. We all know that. Whether you're talking about physical growth and and the growing pains that come as your body's growing. My son Caleb's been complaining lately, his bones hurt, right? Dad, why do I hurt? Well, nothing's wrong with you, you're just growing, right? We we see growing pains in in our households as we add family members and new children into the mix, right? There's growing pains that come with that. And friends, certainly growing pains happen in a church that's growing numerically, And we see these growing pains present in the early church. Growth brings challenges. Now, now some people see here in our story of these Hellenistic widows a a situation of prejudice. Some commentators argue that that there must have been some prejudice going on in the early church where where the Hebrew widows were being cared for, but the Hellenistic widows weren't. And, And the reason for that was some kind of internal prejudice in the church. Friends, I don't think that's really what was taking place, though. If you remember, just a chapter earlier, at the end of chapter 4, Luke tells us that the entire church was united in one heart and soul. They they were selling their possessions. They were giving to anyone as they had need. I don't think what was going on here was a prejudice amongst God's people. I think what was happening here was just the reality of growing pains. And the reality that as the church was growing, the circumstances of ministry became more difficult. The, the situation with these Hellenistic widows not, not, being, uh, not being served faithfully or, or fairly wasn't a situation of prejudice, but it was more a situation of organization. You see, in the early days of the church, you may have just had a handful of widows. In the, in the weeks right after Christ's death and resurrection and ascension, you're talking hundreds of people. You've got maybe a dozen widows in the church. That's, that's an easy number to care for. Peter says to John at the end of the day, preaching the gospel, hey, John, you go take care of Esther on the way home. I'm going to stop by the grocery store and get some groceries for Ruth. And the the apostles could have easily handled those needs. But here we are about a year down the road, thousands of people have come to faith, and it's just not possible for the apostles to meet all of the needs of the church anymore. And I think what was happening is it wasn't prejudice that was leading to the neglect of these Hellenistic widows. It was simply the organizational realities of of a growing church and the apostles not being able to meet all of these needs on their own. They needed help. They were experiencing new and unique challenges. Now, sadly, I think there were some in the church who perceived this reality as prejudice. And that led these Hellenists to complain against their brothers and sisters, their Hebrew brothers and sisters. But again, I don't think there was genuine prejudice taking place in this situation. I think we're talking about just simply growing pains here. We, we've experienced our share of growing pains here at Lakes Free over the years. This church is 34 years old. Some of you have been here from the beginning. You've seen the reality of growing pains that come when God is blessing a church and people are coming and the church is multiplying. Right? Growth happens and growing pains happen. We, we could talk about, you know, the, the, the reality of, you know, needing people on the worship team or a lack of ushers or welcome, you know, greeters at the front doors or, I mean, a whole host of challenges, right? You buy a big property like this, now you got to find people to take care of the property. Growing pains. I, I remember just a few years ago, simple, simple example, simple illustration. 
A few years ago, we had to make a tough decision. We, we, in our worship guides, we decided we couldn't any longer print personal announcements in our worship guides. We used to print every baby shower. We used to print wedding receptions and wedding showers and invitations to those things, right? But as the church grew to over 600 people, to 1,000 plus people on our whole church roster, right, we just can't keep up with all that. And we don't have the room to print that information. And it wasn't about slighting anybody. It wasn't about, well, you know, yeah, we did it last week, but now we're not going to do it for you. Sometimes you have to make hard organizational choices when growth is happening. And I think that's what we're seeing here in the early church. Another key challenge for a growing church is the reality of satanic opposition. Satanic opposition. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5.8, he says, Be sober-minded and watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Friends, you better believe when the gospel revolution is on the move, when you've got a Holy Spirit-inspired church, when you've got a church of people moving in unity together, you better believe there's a big bullseye on that church. The enemy's got that church in its crosshairs. And I think what was taking place in Acts chapter 6 is that the enemy saw an opportunity to sow seeds of dissension. And he started whispering lies about you not being treated fairly. Oh, and they care more about the Hebrews than they do about you, you Greek-speaking Christians. And the enemy was trying to sow seeds of dissension and false prejudice within the church. And this could have ended up destroying the body of Christ very early on. Friends, these were good days for the church in Jerusalem. So, of course, they're in the crosshairs of the enemy. And I'm going to tell you something, friends. In the same way, we're experiencing some good days here at Lakes Free. God's doing some amazing things here in our church. We got, we got lives being changed. We got roses up on stage almost every week. We got a church that's faithfully preaching the word of God every Sunday. We've got hundreds of people serving in ministry. We got people living out their faith in the community right? The Holy Spirit's at work here. You better believe the enemy has us on his hit list. And so we need to be in prayer, friends. We need to be in prayer for our church now more than ever, in the good days more than ever. I'll tell you something, Satan is not worried about the church that's compromised. Satan doesn't care about the church that's not faithfully preaching the gospel. Satan could care less about the church that's not seeing lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Satan could care less about the church where people show up maybe five times a year at most and the rest of the time have no care for what's going on in the body of Christ. Satan doesn't care about that church. The church that's a threat to the enemy is the growing, thriving, gospel-centered church. Friends, you've got to be praying for our church. You've got to be praying for me. You've got to be praying for our staff because the enemy has us on his hit list. And we are at risk, friends. Now, whether we're talking back in chapter 6 or whether we're talking about the normal growing pains of a healthy church or a direct satanic attack against the early church, the reality was the apostles quickly recognized that this issue presented by these neglected widows was a serious threat. It was a serious threat to the, the church. And a lot was at stake. What was at stake in this situation? Number one, the unity of the church was at stake. The unity of the church was at stake. This situation had the potential to turn into the very first church split in history. 
can you imagine if the apostles hadn't addressed this, you would have ended up with the, the first Jerusalem Hellenistic church on one corner and the first Jerusalem Hebrew church on the other corner, and it could have derailed the whole gospel revolution right at the very beginning. Now, now I want you to understand something here. I really believe these Hellenistic Jews had every right to feel unfairly treated in this situation. Again, I don't think it was intentional, but they still had a right to feel like they had been slighted. I, I mean, my mom's a widow. If I found out that her church wasn't fairly taking care of her, I'd be concerned too. Right? So I think they had a legitimate concern here. But friends, was complaining against their Hebrew brothers and sisters the right way to handle it? Not at all. Not at all. They should have taken their complaints directly and privately to the apostles. Instead, they assumed the worst about their Hebrew brothers and sisters, and they allowed Satan to sow a seed of dissension in the church. Friends, this entire episode here is an important reminder to us that it is possible to be justifiably hurt or concerned or offended in the church and respond to that in a completely sinful manner. There's a right way and a wrong way to handle concerns in the church. And this situation was handled the wrong way, and it could have split the church. Friends, we need to always strive as best as possible, as much as possible, to protect the unity of God's people. Let me just share a great example of this. Not too long ago, I received an email from a man in our church. He was concerned about something he had experienced on a Sunday morning. Now, now the details aren't important, but, but he had a legitimate concern. And, and he could have handled this concern in some really unhelpful ways. He could have gone up to his ABF second hour and started you know, verbally abusing the people involved that he was concerned about. He, he could have, you know, started spreading gossip through the halls of church, gossip up in town. He could have gone on Facebook and, you know, ranted on a social media post for the whole world to see. But he didn't respond that way. Instead, what did he do? He, he reached out to me with graciousness, sharing his concerns. He, he spoke to me directly in a very gracious, humble, loving manner. And we talked about his concern. And he responded in humility. Friends, this is how you handle concerns in the body of Christ. You do it with charity. You do it with grace. You do it with humility. And you seek to always protect the unity of the church. It doesn't mean we're always going to agree with everyone. But again, protecting the body, protecting the unity of the body is so important. So not only was the unity of the church at stake, but we also see that the, the reputation of the church was at stake. Friends, just imagine what the situation could have done to the reputation and effectiveness of the early church. Can you imagine if the Pharisees had gotten wind of this? Right? Oh, did you hear about those Jesus followers? They don't even take care of their widows. You don't want to be a part of that group. Right? I mean, the whole reputation of the church was at stake, and it could have completely shut down the ministry of the gospel. Pastor Kent Hughes, in his commentary on Acts, he, he tells a story of a, a large church in Dallas a few years back that had a, a major split in the church. 
It, it was such a bad church split that church members were actually taking each other to court, suing each other over who had the right to the church property. In the court case, in the trial, it came out that the entire dispute started because one of the elders in the church felt slighted at a church potluck because a young boy was given a bigger piece of ham than he was. <laughs> Friends, do you think the secular media had a field day with that story? Absolutely. And it brought disrepute to the church in the whole Dallas-Fort Worth area. Friends, how sad when the enemy sows seeds of dissension in the church. Jesus tells us we are to be known for our reputation. But it should be a reputation of love. Look what Jesus told his disciples in John 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Friends, that needs to be the reputation we're known for. Not for division, not for disunity, not for infighting and gossip and all that garbage. We need to protect the unity. We need to protect the reputation. Thirdly, the apostles recognized we needed to protect the priorities of the church. They had to protect the priorities of the church. Now, when you read verse 2 of our passage, it might appear at first as if the apostles were denigrating the task of serving the widows and waiting on tables. But that's not at all what was going on here. The apostles were concerned about the widows. We see that right away. They put a plan into effect. They had a legitimate concern. They knew we had to care for these widows. But they also understood that their fundamental pastoral task, which they were committed to, was prayer and preaching the word. You see, friends, there were many good things the apostles could have done in service to the church, but there were two things that were essential to their service to the church. Prayer and preaching the word. Prayer and preaching the word. See, friends, the apostles understood that these were their priorities. And they understood that if they refused to put the fundamental priorities of their calling, number one, it would have put the entire church at risk. How would it have put the church at risk? Friends, it would have caused a failure of the church to keep the main thing the main thing. Prayer and preaching the word have to be the priorities of any good pastor because they're the bedrock of the church. They're what give the church its identity. They're what keeps a church on mission. Apart from prayer and preaching the word, we become nothing more than just another social club or community service organization. And friends, I'll tell you, a faithful pastor knows that, and a healthy church will affirm that. A couple of weeks ago when I was speaking out in Oregon at Ecola Bible College, one of the other teachers that week was a pastor from Kansas City. He was, in, he was also a free church pastor. Uh, Mark McCune is his name. And he had recently taken this new role at, at this church in Kansas City. He had come from Los Angeles. And I was talking to Mark. I said, Mark, so tell me, how did you know when you were looking at making this move, how did you know that this free church in Kansas City was the right church for you? And he said, you know what, Jason, when I was at the church visiting during my candidating weekend, he said, I sat down with the elders, and the elders told me, Pastor, here's what we want you to do. We want you to pray, and we want you to preach, and we'll take care of the rest. You pray and you preach, we'll make sure the rest of the ministries get handled. Friends, that's a church that gets it. 
That's a church that understands its pastoral priorities. Lots of things our pastors can be involved in, but the most important thing we can be involved in is praying and studying the Word and proclaiming the Word. I'm thankful to be a part of a church here at Lakes Free that gets those priorities. Right Now, there's more that I do as a pastor than just study and pray and preach. But friends, if I'm not upholding those priorities first and foremost, this place is done for. Okay, I could spend my time doing a lot of things throughout the week. I, I have opportunities to spend my entire week in counseling sessions. I could do that. Okay, I could spend my entire week hosting service projects. I could spend my entire week doing one-on-one mentoring and discipleship. I could do all of those things. But the most important thing I do for this church is to preach the Word of God on Sunday mornings. And so I spend about two-thirds of my week in prayer, in preparation, and study to bring you the Word. Because apart from that, this is just a social club. This is just a service organization. We need to be rooted and grounded in the Word, and so we need to protect those pastoral priorities. The apostles understood that. I'm thankful that we get that also here at Lakes Free Church. So here in Acts 6, we see the apostles are trying to protect the unity of the church, the reputation of the church, the priorities of the church. And so to do this, they suggest a plan. And this leads us to point number two this morning. Gospel ministry should be graciously embraced. Let's take a look at the apostles' plan. Read verses 3 through 6. The apostles said, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. Friends, the apostles' plan was, look, we can't do all the work of the ministry. We need help from the body to do some of the work of the ministry. So you guys go out and you find seven faithful men, full of the Spirit, full of the wisdom, and we will appoint them to serve in this capacity. And friends, look at the response to the apostles' plan. Verse 5 says that it pleased the whole gathering. What an awesome response. What what an incredible church. Here here we see, number one, the, the apostles' plan was embraced by the entire church. We're talking upwards of 20,000 disciples at this point. In unity, in agreement, graciously united in one spirit behind the apostles' plan. Friends, this is amazing. The early church was actually okay with change. Did you know that's possible? No fights broke out. No fingers were pointed. No gossip was spoken. Friends, this was a church that was truly alive and united by the power of the Holy Spirit. This was a church that was more committed to the mission than their own personal motivations. What an awesome model for us. You know, one of the things I'm most thankful for here at Lakes Free is how over our 34-year history, God has blessed this church with a very similar spirit of unity. And, and oneness and commitment to the mission God has called us to. And, and again, it's not that we've never had disagreements. 
but we've always handled those in a very gracious, charitable way. One of my favorite stories here at Lakes Free is Olin and Beth Phillips here have shared this many times, and I'm sure they're okay with me sharing this this morning. They, they talk about when they were first visiting Lakes Free. They said they knew this is the church they wanted to be after they attended one of our Lakes Free business meetings. They were totally blown away. They, they couldn't believe the spirit of unity. Bev says they felt like it was more like a worship service than it was a business meeting. Nobody was fighting. There was a unity of spirit. There was joy. There was prayer. Pastor Rick used to always describe the, the sweet spirit that permeated our Lakes Free business meetings. Friends, that's a unique thing. That's a rare thing. That's an incredible blessing. And it only happens when the Holy Spirit is alive and moving. And so we need to pray, friends, that God would continue to foster and protect this sweet spirit of unity in our church because it's very fragile and the enemy's always on the attack. So we see here the church united behind this plan. The whole church embraced this plan. But I also want you to notice the seven chosen guys embraced this plan. What an awesome group of men this was. Can you imagine? These guys show up at a church business meeting. All right, They didn't know what the agenda was. They show up at this meeting. They find out there's a bunch of widows who aren't being fairly taken care of. The apostles say, why don't you guys all delegate seven men to handle this responsibility? These seven guys are chosen. And what do they do? They say, yeah, sign me up. You want me to take care of some widows? Sign me up. I'm in. No complaining about it. No arguing about wanting a more glorified position. They said, you know what? We got some sisters in need. Yeah, I'm in. Sign me up. This is a model, friends, of what faithful Christian service looks like. What an example to us here. These seven guys just simply willing and ready to serve because they love Jesus and they love their church. Man, one of the things that consistently blows me away in my ministry here at Lakes Free are, are the hundreds of men and women that we have regularly serving the Lord. I mean, it takes hundreds of you guys to pull off the ministries that we have going on here. Uh, one of my favorite things is Wednesday nights, I walk the halls of our church during our Blast and Awana and adult ministry program, our student ministry programs. I love walking the halls of our church. I, I love seeing guys like Tyson here rolling on the floor playing games with little kids. I mean, a man's man humbling himself to serve little kids in the love of Christ. I love seeing our classrooms packed with faithful men and women ministering to kids, preaching the gospel, sharing the hope of Christ. I love going down to our student ministries department. You walk down to our student ministries department and half of our elder board is down there serving the youth of our church. Friends, that's incredible. Literally, half of our elder board are serving as volunteers with our student ministry. I mean, I could go on and on sharing examples of the way God's people have united behind the vision that Christ has given us here at this church. Faithful servants. I want to say a word to you young people here this morning. Okay, junior hires, high schoolers, young adults, you want to find a hero? You looking for somebody to look up to? Okay, don't, don't bother with the guy on YouTube or the popular it girl on Instagram. Okay, you want to find somebody to look up to Go down to the nursery this morning and talk to Allison Lindemann. 
who's been loving our kids here for decades. Go, go talk to Greg Whitney, who's been ministering to shut-ins and people in their last days on hospice care. Go, go talk to Jolene Meyer, who's been sharing the gospel with thousands of kids in our Awana program for years and years. Go talk to Guy Bonneman, who shows up hours before church on Sunday morning to make sure the sidewalks are shoveled. You want a hero? Our church is full of them. Friends, these are great models of faithful men and women serving the Lord. None of their names will probably ever go viral on social media. But you better believe they have the applause of heaven. Lakes Free, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to invite you to pray a prayer. It's a radical prayer. It's a prayer that could change the whole trajectory of your life. Here's that prayer. Lord, give me a heart like the seven in Acts. Grant me the humility to graciously accept your call to serve, wherever it may be, and use my life for your honor and glory. Amen. Friends, if you'll pray that prayer, God can do some incredible things. Just imagine what he might do with a church committed to praying that prayer. We could literally change the world. And this leads me to my last point this morning. Gospel ministry can be tremendously enhanced. Up to this point in our passage, we've seen a plan. We've seen a church united and committed to the plan. We've seen willing and faithful servants. And now here in verse 7, we see the ultimate result. And the word of God continued to increase. The gospel revolution just kept rolling on. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And even a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Friends, this is what happens when ministry is multiplied within the church. The gospel revolution rolls on with even greater impact. The apostles knew they couldn't do it all. We need help. We need help from the body. And in the same way, I can't do it all. And even our staff team can't do it all. We need help. And when a church gets together united in mission and is committed to serving the cause of Christ, friends, amazing things can happen. When the body of Christ is united, working together. This is why God calls the church the body of Christ. He's the head. We're the parts. The Apostle Paul describes it like this in Romans 12. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. I love that line, verse 6. Paul says, Use them. You've got gifts. Let's put them to use. You know, friends, I believe that deep down in the core of every single one of us is a desire to be part of something significant in this world. Who among us here doesn't want their life to count for something special? Who here doesn't want to get to the end of their life and look back on their life and say, my life mattered? Well, friends, I'm going to tell you a profound truth this morning. Your life does matter. And God has created you and he's gifted you for a purpose and he invites you to be a part of the most tremendous calling this world has ever known. But the question is, will you step out in faith and let him use you? If you will, I promise you, 
you will see God use you in miraculous ways. All for His glory. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the model that we see here in the early church in Acts chapter 6. And Heavenly Father, I'm especially thankful, Lord, that we have a church that's committed to this very same mission. A church that is intent on keeping our priorities in order, keeping the main thing the main thing. A church that's united in one spirit behind this mission. God, you know we're not a perfect church. We have a lot of areas, Lord, where we're still growing. But God, we are thankful that you've given us a church full of people who are committed to the cause of seeing the name of Jesus elevated and glorified and made famous in this region of the state of Minnesota and all over the world. God, continue to protect that spirit of unity in our church. Continue to raise up men and women who can join us in the ministry here. Continue to give us a heart of humility that says, Lord, no matter where that need is, let me step up and serve for your honor and glory. I don't care if I'm not up front. I don't care if not everybody sees what I'm doing. I don't care if anybody knows who I am. But Lord, use me for the cause of the great mission of the gospel revolution. Lord, we want our church to be that kind of a church that just emits the sweet fragrance of your grace and your spirit. So we ask you humbly, Lord, to continue to bless us in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.